in and out of the town, oh, didn't he ramble, ramble, he rambled till the butchers cut him down. New York City in the 60s on the Lower East Side was kind of rough, and this podcast reflects a bit of that. Its working title is New York City, Junkies and Narrow Escapes. Now I understand from what I've been told that my old neighborhood on the Lower East Side has been white painted and is now a very expensive area to live in. Back in the days when I lived there, there was rent control and the buildings were by and large five-story tenement buildings lining the streets with little shops here and there. Where I lived, there was a marble stoop and buzzers and locks on the front door that didn't really work anymore. There were about ten apartments in my building. I lived first in apartment five and then in apartment one at 171 East 2nd Street between avenues A and B, Alphabet City. I became friends with a lady called Fran who lived across the street. She'd been a model, she had good bones in her face, and she was sort of involved in the community, as I was. She was in the arts, in effect. Fran had a girlfriend named Mert. Fran lived on the second floor, and Mert was up on the fifth floor, on that same building across the street from me. There was a fire escape off outside their kitchen window that ran up to the roof, so you could go out on the second floor window fire escape and go up to the fifth floor if you wanted to. Mert dearly loved Fran. Mert was built like a brick back house and was what was called in those days a bull dyke. Mert had a heart of gold and a tender one at that, and she was a really nice person and totally devoted to Fran. Now there were junkies on the Lower East Side because heroin was like a plague. They called it White Lady and it it really was a plague. The poor junkies had to support their habit so they stole and they stole from their own neighborhood first. The way it works with the junkie is you start with your own family and you clean them out then you move on to friends and then you move on to easy marks. In this case there was an ordinary junkie skinny, raggedy, trying to cover his habit. In the middle of the night, he found a way to open the window to apartment two using the fire escape. That was Fran's apartment. Now, Fran had a huge dog. His name was Malcolm. His hugeness was due in part to hair. He had lots of it, and it was long and golden. The Puerto Ricans on the street, when he was cut for the summer in a special way, thought he was a lion and would cross the street to avoid him. How much was hair and how much was dog, it's hard to say, but he had a very deep bark. When the junkie invaded the apartment, the dog didn't wake up right away because he was a heavy sleeper, but eventually he woke up and noticed the intruder and he said, Woof! Malcolm had that deep bark, a basal profundo woof. You knew right away, even in the dark, that this was not a chihuahua. It only took one of those barks for the junkie to decide to head back out the window. Junkies, for reasons known only to themselves, when they're fleeing, they don't go down, they go up. They go up towards the roof of the building. As he was heading up, the dog poked his head out the window and went, Woof! 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 This woke up Mert in the apartment above, so she opened her window on the fire escape and looked out. Mert said something profound and profane, and the junkie saw that he was trapped, well and truly trapped, 
between the dike and the dog. Or so you might think. There was a laneway between that building and the next, about three cars wide, and the next building also had a fire escape. It was raining, which made the fire escape slippery, so it was not an easy leap from one fire escape to the other. That junkie was inspired by fear and needed to escape. He was armored with that kind of immortality which inspires the junkie who somehow survives in spite of all. He made an Olympic leap. He leapt from fire escape to fire escape over that laneway and against all odds, he made it. He absolutely made it. My God, they're immortal until they take an overdose. Side note. Later on, Fran broke Mert's tender heart by taking up with a male biker groupie, getting pregnant, and moving to Brooklyn. Another time, Tina, who was a well-known lady of the evening, navigated an impossible barrier. In the back of our building was a cement backyard of sorts, and between our backyard and the next was a tall board fence. My significant other, Kelly, had added barbed wire to this tall fence. Tina high as a kite on heroin, and wearing fishnet stockings, a miniskirt, a nylon blouse, and a significantly high wig, managed to navigate her way over that barrier without a single rip, tear, or abrasion. Lord knows why she didn't just walk in the front, but fueled by dope and propelled by profanity, she did cross over. Junkies are immortal. There was a fellow called Spain who lived across the street. We knew him. He worked at looking after buildings and was a meat packer with a special recipe for corned beef which kept him employed. He used to keep one or two of these junky ladies in his apartment. He had one complaint. You see, when they put in the needle, they had to tie something around their arm to bring the vein up, and he said, every time, when they need to shoot up, they cut off a lamp cord. It's always a new lamp cord. Could be an old one on the floor already cut, but never mind. They will cut the new lamp cord, tie off, shoot up, and that's it. I'm forever replacing lamp cords. If you want to know what happened to the gangs in West Side Story, I can tell you. White Lady got them, the heroine. The members, particularly the leaders, became addicted. I knew one of them. This fine flourish of manhood just petered out into being a junkie. That's life. That was New York in the 60s. This is Sonia Brock podcasting from Toronto, Ontario. I can be reached on the web at soniabrock.com, S-O-N-I-A-B-R-O-C-K dot com.